Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Finance in a Flash, presented by Beacon Financial Strategies. I'm your host, John Motto, and today I'm joined again by Chip Highmiller. How are you doing today, Chip? John, I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's good to be Uh, back. Yes, it is good to be back. It's a new year. Same two people on the podcast, but um, we hope that it's going to be just as enjoyable as it has been in in the past. Um, So, well, Chip, um, today we're continuing and finishing up our series on estate planning. It's been a fun time uh, recording this uh, with you, but um, all good things must come to an end. Um, I guess la- they do. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you know, even even great things like talking about estate planning. Yes, it 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 wouldn't be great if we did it forever. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, last week or last episode we touched on the revocable living trust. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would highly encourage you to listen to it. It's a great episode around a subject that we get a lot of questions about. Um, but today we're going to move forward and we're going to be touching on some other types of common trusts. Um, Chip, correct me if I'm wrong here, but many times people ask us, do, do we need a trust? Well, that's kind of a, a pretty difficult question or a pretty complex question, as most things are in our industry. Um, there are many different types of trusts that can be created, all with varying objectives, pros and cons and tax and estate implications. So today during this podcast, we're going to do kind of a quick fire um, style where we briefly discuss several different types of common trusts and uh, a couple that we've touched on in other podcasts. Um, And I think the best way to get us kicked off today, Chip, is to talk what we talked about last episode, which is the revocable living trust. So Chip, if you don't mind taking it away. Yeah, just a real quick quick review on revocable living trust. And, um, you know, basically a revocable living trust is created during a person's lifetime. Um, and it's really utilized primarily primarily for the purpose of avoiding uh, probate, um, as well as um, issues related to incapacity of the, of the grantor. So those are the primary reasons why people use revocable living trust. Um, very common. If you would like to learn more about that, again, listen to our last podcast uh, that specifically talks about uh, revocable living trust. But again, the primary uh, motivation for revocable living trust is is avoiding probate, um, making that process a little easier, as well as uh, having a way to handle assets uh, under the event uh, if someone becomes incapacitated. Great. Thank you, Chip. And I know, I know this is a topic we actually talked about in our Wills podcast, but Chip, can you discuss um, what a children's trust is? Yeah. So the children's trust is created and usually this is created in someone's will. Um, and it kind of stipulates, you know, uh, where my uh, funds go in order to protect my minor, oftentimes minor children, um, from themselves, but usually, you know, children's trust are created and they, you know, they, there's a lot of flexibility in how they can be created, but a lot of times parents will say, okay, well, um, you know, we want to make sure that our life insurance proceeds kind of are directed to the children's trust and that, you know, that there's a trustee uh, kind of in place to make financial decisions for um, your children. And, um, you know, the trust, this type of trust does just that. It also stipulates, you know, what types of expenses can be used for the children's benefit. And there's can be a lot of flexibility or no flexibility, which we've kind of talked about uh, uh, in the Wills podcast. Um, And also it lays out, okay, at what age uh, does the trust actually end? So, 
you know, in my trust uh, for my children, it's like, okay, at age 25, they get a certain amount. And at age 30, they get a certain amount. And then the trust kind of terminates um, under most circumstances. So that's kind of the way um, children's trusts work. It's really just a way to protect uh, children and to kind of control um, assets in the event that something were to happen to both parents. Yeah, we get a lot of questions about a children's trust, especially with our uh, mid-career professional uh, clients. So that's great. I'm glad we were able to, to touch on that today. Now, Chip, I got a question for you. Um, is there a certain type of trust where maybe somebody in a second marriage um, might want to look into where they want to make sure their children from their prior marriage or their spouse's children from their prior marriage um, receive um, the assets that they have? Yeah, and that's a good question. And um, there are. So there are trusts that are um, uh, available. And uh, the Q-tip trust is 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 the one that I'm kind of referencing. And and really, it's perfect for second marriage situations. And, uh, you know, let's say that Johnny and Sue get married and this is their second marriage. Johnny has two kids from a prior marriage and Sue has two kids from a prior marriage. Well, if Johnny were to predecease Sue, he wants to make sure, hey, that Sue has access to um, the funds that they've jointly accumulated. But at, at Sue's death, he wants to make sure that his children get um, a portion of his estate. And so a Q-tip trust handles that and, and works out the details of that. And so I feel like that, um, especially in second marriage situations, a Q-tip trust or, or something that people should should absolutely consider and, and think about, does it fit in in their situation? Yeah. And those can absolutely take a lot of, um, it can take a lot of stress out of, you know, wondering what would happen to your, to your assets um, when you, when you die and, you know, it, it can provide some relief almost. Yeah. And it can also help the surviving second spouse, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you have a situation where, and most of the time, uh, you know, the second spouse understands, Hey, um, you know, I would like to have, to be taken care of um, if something were to happen to, um, you know, the, uh, the, the spouse that passes away, if something were to happen, I want to make sure that they have access to money and funds. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you understand that, okay, it's uh, the children from a prior marriage is, is kind of um, the primary beneficiaries there. And so I think that's a great way to handle it. And it's, um, you know, it's a fairly simple type of trust, but under most circumstances, but uh, one that's very necessary, I think that especially in the case of second marriages. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Chip, could you uh, could you discuss a spousal lifetime access trust or a SLAT for us? Yes. Yeah, so, so so the rest of the podcast is really going to be dedicated to more advanced planning, uh, estate planning topics, and a lot of times it's. Uh, these types of trust that we're going to be discussing here in the next few minutes is is purely for those who have you know higher net worth, um, you know lots of things going on, and um, it's more of a complex situation. So uh, I like the rapid fire approach here because honestly, this doesn't apply to a lot of uh, people, but it does apply for those who it does apply. It's very important. So uh, a couple of things, just background right now. Um, in the U.S., this is 2023, um, the federal estate tax exclusion is $12.92 million, okay? And so that's an awful high number. So, you know, we're, we're, talking, we're talking about planning around the estate tax. You know, every taxpayer has an exemption 
of $12.92 million. So as long as your estate um, is below that level, it doesn't really matter. Um, a spousal lifetime access trust is useful from the standpoint that um, right now, uh, the federal exclusion amount is 12.92, but it's scheduled to sunset in 2026 back down to 6.8 million. And so what some people are worried about is, hey, what if I die and the estate tax rules have changed and are less um, conducive to your estate? So let's say you have an estate of uh, $10 million. And, um, you know, you know, in 2026 that the estate tax laws are going to go down to $6.8 million exclusion. Well, a SLAT allows you um, as a taxpayer to fund a trust, uh, take advantage of this, uh, the higher estate tax exclusion uh, amount right now, and still have access to the funds. Um, and then it, you know, let's say you pass away in 2027 when the estate tax uh, laws have, have declined, the ex exemption equivalent has, has gone down, you still have taken advantage of the higher exemption amount. And so slats right now are one of the um, more common types of trust that people who are higher net worth uh, would use. Um, also, credit shelter trusts kind of are, uh, can help in a similar sort of way. They're similar sorts of trust, and the purpose is, is purely taking advantage of a taxpayer's estate tax uh, exemption amount. Great. Uh, thank you for that rundown for that. I'm, I'm certainly learning a lot as well on this podcast. Um, I it's a lot to learn in this area. I mean, it's, it's complicated. And, you know, I think that for those people who were either a credit shelter trust or a spousal lifetime access trust is uh, something that they consider. It's to me, you have to really work with the client and go through the pros and cons and, and just go do some scenario planning around that and just kind of think through, you know, where a client is and whether these tools will fit in. Yeah. And I love, I love highlighting that these are all tools, right? Um, they might not always apply in every situation, but it's good to know how all those tools work. Absolutely. It's, in, it's important to understand that it's, they're out there and, um, and, and there are attorneys and, and advisors alike who can help um, discuss the pros and cons and, and really work with you as a team uh, to come up with with solution that is exact, exactly catered to your needs. Right. Well, Chip, um, let's move on to the Irrevocable Life, Life Insurance Trust or an ILIT. Could you give us a rundown about what that is? Yeah. So the, the ILIT is a good um, tool to use in, in certain situations as well. And I'll give you an example, a couple of examples of when I've seen these used. But basically, um, it helps uh, provide liquidity in situations where you have a closely held business or a family farm or uh, a family owns some land that, you know, maybe there's uh, the expectation that is it will be a, a, a taxable um, and a, uh, there will be an estate tax there. And the ILIT helps provide liquidity. You know, I, I've seen a situation in my career where, you know, family owned a farm in uh, Missouri and um, they had to make some serious uh, adjustments in order to pay the, the estate tax on the farm because the estate tax rates are extraordinarily high. Um, you know, 40% is kind of, uh, you know, the, the norm when it comes to estate 
taxes. And so, you know, you, it, it would be terrible to have to, you know, sell off property or liquidate a business in order to simply pay the estate tax on on that. And so an ILIT is, is a tool that allows people to um, move in life insurance out of their estate um, and can also provide liquidity under those circumstances that liquidity is important um, at someone's at someone's death. And so um, that's really the most common way to use irrevocable life insurance trust. There are other ways and other advisors use different methods of, of um, you know, transferring assets among family and, and that sort of thing. But to me, providing that liquidity um, outside of the estate is is awful helpful. And um and 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 that's that's kind of the uh, purpose of an irrevocable life insurance trust. Yeah, I found that one really interesting when we were talking about it um, before the podcast, just kind of running over everything. Um, that was something new for me, and I, I really enjoyed learning about that. Um, kind of segueing on to our um, to our next topic, we got the charitable trust. Yeah, charitable trust, and and there are several different types of charitable trust. There's charitable remainder trust. There's charitable lead trust. There's annuity trust. There's unit trust. So there's uh, lots of different things that, you know, for those who are charitably inclined um, can work through. But uh, and, and there are other planning techniques that you combine with insurance and other things that, you know, can help people maximize their charitable intentions. But a charitable trust is um, really it's a type of trust that, um, you know, it, it's helpful in a making contributions to charities, uh, first and foremost. Um, it's also can be helpful in um, uh, reducing income tax in some cases. Um, it's helpful in reducing the estate tax because you're kind of removing an asset from your estate that would be taxable. Um, and it's also helpful for the uh, grantor because they can receive tax deduction um, in the year that it's contributed. And so I think that that charitable trust are really um, a super thing to consider along with other types of charitable gifting, which we talk to our clients about too, like donor advised funds and that sort of thing. But in some cases, you know, a charitable trust can be the way to go because, you know, you can uh, receive an income stream from uh, the funds that you've given to charity. And maybe the charity gets the money at the end when you pass away, but during your lifetime, maybe you can receive some sort of income stream. And that's a way that, um, you know, a benefit that charitable trust can provide. Great. Well, Chip, I think we've given our listeners a great overview of several different types of trusts, uh, while also highlighting some situations that may lead one into considering these types of trusts. Chip, before we end today, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, the purpose of this series is really just to um, clarify some common misconceptions that people have about the estate planning process and um, and also to clarify questions that we get. I mean, you know, the, the question that you mentioned earlier, should I have a trust? Well, gosh, I don't know that <laughs> there's so many different types of trust and there's, you know, different strategies to use trust. And so, um, just knowing that I think is 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 really beneficial, and and having an advisor advisory team, uh, whether it's a financial advisor, state estate planning attorney, um, tax advisor, who's kind of working together as a team to kind of 
you know, A, uh, help the client um, at where they are in their lives and B, you know, uh, educate clients with pros and cons of different strategies so that, that clients know going in, hey, um, I'm doing this strategy, but I understand the, the negatives um, as well as the positives. And, and you know, you kind of go in with eyes wide open. And I think that that makes for better outcomes in the end. Yes, I, I totally agree. Well, as we kind of said earlier, Chip, this is the end of our estate planning series. But if you have any questions for us, feel free to get, shoot us an email or give us a call up at the office. Um, I want to say a big thank you to Chip, as always, for joining us. And I also want to give a big thank you to our listeners for listening to our series. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you.